Hey, Anna, remember that time a cult helped Harvey Milk get elected? that time and historical podcast i'm your host anna webb and i'm your host amanda webb this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history and happy pride everybody happy pride pride. i'm so excited it's pride month very exciting i'm so sorry i just (laughs) yawned while i said that it is very exciting i'm also just extremely tired Sure. I um, am officially on summer vacation, so I have more energy than I've had all year. I'm so um, jealous. Even though I did technically work today, um, but it wasn't with children, so I'm like. And awake. you've had like what a couple weeks off? Now. Yeah, I've had I've had some time, so I'm like ready to go. I'm very jealous. I, on the other <laughs> hand, um, feel like I am, sw- you know, walking through water this week. I'm so like foggy, yeah. um, folks. <laughs> the day that we're recording this, uh, I have just gone through a full, I don't know how long was it, uh, like 16 hours without power. <laughs> yeah. My power went out, um, and it was very, very, very hot. <laughs> it's been rough. <laughs> I haven't yeah. had much sleep. So I'm a little punchy today, uh, but here we are. But don't worry, because I've got energy. Great. Would you like a drink update? Yes, I would. I'm having some white wine. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely like, fair. I feel like it's deserved today. Wonderful. I'm drinking water. That's what I should be drinking, but alas. <laughs> However, you're having some wine. Well, because it is Pride Month, um, we are starting the month off talking about some queer topics. If you have not listened to this podcast before, um, we've mentioned it before that queer is a word that we are comfortable with here. I am a queer person. Um, and so that is language we're comfortable with here. I know that that is not true for everybody, but just prefacing that. Um, and our first queer topic this month is going to be Harvey Milk, um, who is a very important figure in the uh, gay rights movement in America. Um, And before we get started, I just wanted to give a little bit of a content warning. Um, We will have some discussion of some violent homophobia, um, unsurprisingly Mm -hmm. and unfortunately. Um, There are a couple of mentions of suicide and some violent death. Um, All in all, very small pieces of this story. Not that bad, but we like to let people know that stuff off the top just so you can do whatever you need to do to stay healthy and happy. Yep. Um, so if that's not something you can listen to, feel free to skip this episode. Yes. So are we ready to get started talking about Harvey Milk? Let's do it. Awesome. So Harvey Milk is born on May, 27- May 22nd, 1930 in New York to William Milk and Minerva Carnes. I love uh, the name Minerva. I do too. I just I thought love that, it. I thought that when I wrote her name down. I was like, that's a great name. I love it so much. I'm so sorry. There was such a loud thud just now in it. my building that it startled me. I heard it. 
I live in I, an apartment. I, there are noises a lot, but that was so loud. I like I started. I don't know. I usually I, can't hear like so, sounds like that, and I heard that. So sorry, it just startled me to such an extent that I was like, "What is going on?" It's fine. I don't know what happened. Anyway. <laughs> So his parents are um, Lithuanian Jews, um, and his grandfather, Morris Milk, owned a department store and helped organize the first synagogue in their area, hmm. which I just thought was really interesting. That's interesting. Um, so he comes from like a middle class Jewish family. Sure. Uh, as a child uh, growing up in school, he takes on a sort of class clown role because he's very talkative. Um, and he's also kind of, like, awkward looking. He has, mm. like, big ears. Like, like, takes him a while to, like, grow into his body. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a teenage boy, so. Yeah. Sure. Um, Kid, I guess. He's not a teenager it's yet. Through his childhood and his teenage years. Right. Uh, he graduates from Bay Shore High School in 1947, and then he goes on to study mathematics at the New York State College for Teachers from 1947 to 1951. Um, one source that I used a lot for this episode is a fantastic documentary called The Times of Harvey Milk. Um, I would be surprised if you hadn't heard of it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's pretty famous. Um, and so some things I got from that, so I don't have like a thing to back it up. It's just a thing they said in the documentary that I found very interesting. You know what I mean? Well, you assume that most of those facts were well-researched by those people. (laughs) Exactly. So a fact that I got from that documentary was that he knew that he was gay since he was 14. I didn't find that anywhere else, but uh, they did a lot of very personal interviews in that Mm -hmm. documentary. So like that, I trust that information. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so he apparently knew he was gay since he was 14, but um, a lot of his friends from school didn't know, didn't suspected that that was the case because we have this image of gay men, which is ridiculous. Um, Well, the expectation, especially back then, was that they would be overly effeminate and it would be obvious. But I mean, that's just not obviously not true. Mm -hmm. But and in in high school, he was described as a real quote unquote man's man. So like people didn't know that he was gay when he was young. You know, right? Because it's almost like it could be anyone, and uh-huh, your uh-huh, uh-huh. behavior or gender expression doesn't really have anything to do with it. But okay, yep, 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 yep. whatever. <laughs> so after he graduates from college, he joins the U.S. Navy and he serves during the Korean War. Uh, he's discharged in 1955. It didn't seem like there was anything. Behind that, besides that's just when he left was, the Navy. Uh, his contract was up or something. Or whatever, yeah. Um, after he returns home back to New York, he works as a teacher at George W. Hewlett High School on Long Island. Um, and in 1956, he meets Joe Campbell and they start dating. Uh, eventually, they get kind of bored of New York and they move to Dallas, Texas. I know. <laughs> but he lived there his whole life. I so guess, I guess I kind of like, get that. If you're bored of New York, you're going to go to Texas? I know. I no know. offense, Texas, but it just seems like there's like a lot more to do in New York. Sure. Um, but they're they're not very happy in Texas. Oh, they okay. They move back to New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, after they return, Harvey starts working as a statistician for an insurance firm. That is a tough word. That's a real Ben Wyatt type job, you know? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> An accountant for accountants. Like, that's what that feels like to me. I thought of, um, yeah, well, that. But then you said that, and then I thought of Michael Scott saying, accounting? I'm accounting on you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, he and Joe separate after six years together. Um, and that ends up being one of the longer relationships that he's mm-hmm. in in his life. Um, after a while, he starts working as a researcher on Wall Street. Oh, well, now that I'd get bored of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and like I said, he has a few other relationships and some are like important to his life and his story, but none of the rest of them are as long lasting as his relationship with Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he grew up, like I said, a middle class. <laughs> I'm so Jew. sorry the way you said. So he. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so. He grew up in a middle-class Jewish family um, and, despite being gay, um, was fairly conservative, um, Mm -hmm. just like a kind of, like, tidied up kind of dude. You know what I mean? I mean, he worked on Wall Street. It was also a little different back then, the definition of conservative. Yeah. It was more about um, kind of your, your particular personality and lifestyle yes so it was more like your personal preferences kind of defined how you how you defined yourself either Mm -hmm. conservative or not conservative i don't even know if you would have used the word liberal quite as frequently back then as Mm -hmm. it's used now we we will use it a lot today but that's because we will be talking about politics a lot today but you know um but during the like late 60s like a lot of people that starts to change for him that that sort of conservative self-image um so he starts to drift between several different jobs and cities because he just like a lot of other people from the very happy yeah um he lives briefly in san francisco and don't worry we're coming back to that yep (laughs) um he then moves to texas and then he moves back to new york my goodness um like I said, he starts sort of loosening up and he becomes more interested in politics than he had been previously. Um, he works as an aide and then later as a producer on some like small Broadway productions. So he's entering that community. Um, and then in 1970, after the U.S. invades Cambodia, he he really politically disagreed with that. And so yeah. he, like, goes full hippie after that. That was he the catalyst his... for most hippies, is disagreeing yep. with some sort of war action, whatever yeah. it may be. He lets his hair grow long. He oh, becomes boy. In- involved in anti-war marches and campaigns for the Vietnam War. Like, mm. he, he leans into it right. after that. Right. Um, also around this time, he meets and starts a relationship with Scott Smith. And they together move back to San Francisco. Um, and we're going to talk more about this as we go on. But San Francisco mm-hmm. um, and specifically Castro Street um, are quickly becoming a, like a home for oh, the gay yeah. community. They are flocking there in like huge numbers. So they move to that area. And that's true for like a lot of different areas throughout San Francisco for a lot of different Groups of groups people. of people, yeah. and we're going to talk about that a lot in this episode. San Francisco is a fascinating. Oh place. yeah, the history of that city is really interesting. Um, 
So they moved to Castro Street, and in 1973, they opened up a camera store called Castro Camera on Castro Street. Yeah. And so, like I said, this is becoming like a a, a new home for the gay community. Um, hugely pop, like a lot of people living there. There are smaller versions of those communities all over the country, but San Francisco is like the the hub, you know? Right. Um, and also through the late 60s and early 70s, organizations like the Society for Individual Rights and the Daughters of uh, Bilitis, which you might remember from the episode I did on Stonewall. We talked about mm-hmm. them a little bit. Um, begin working for gay rights in San Francisco and for more active involvement of gay people in politics. Um so not only are they living there now, they also want to be involved in the political life of this city. Sure. And on top of it being a place where lots of different people live, it's also a very political city Oh, yeah. As well. So it's a natural progression, I think. Um, This quote, I think I just got from Wikipedia, but I just think it was well said. So here we are. Um. So Milk became more interested in politi- or in political and civic matters when he was faced with civic problems and policies he disliked. So when they start interacting with him personally, as happens to most people. Mm-hmm. Um, one day in 1973, a state bureaucrat entered Milk's shop, Castro Camera, and informed him that he owed $100 as a deposit against state's sales tax. Milk was incredulous and traded shouts with the man about the rights of business owners, which will become important to him later. Mm-hmm. Um, after he complained for weeks at state offices, the deposit was reduced to thirty dollars. Um, Milk fumed about government priorities when a teacher came into his store to borrow a projector because the equipment in the schools did not function. Mm. Uh, friends also remember around the same time having to restrain him from kicking the television while Eternal Gen- Attorney General John L. Mitchell gave consistent I don't recall replies during the Watergate hearings. <laughs> he said, like, mm, don't you though? <laughs> don't you though? That's also, I feel that though, because that's also how I watch political things on TV. Uh, I I don't watch them on TV anymore because of that. <laughs> I stopped watching them on TV because... I would absolutely react that way. My friend has um, Snapchat videos of me pacing around my living room yelling at the TV during the presidential debates last year. Oh, I did not watch a single one. There are some Um, really good videos of me like yelling at the TV. I watched like the primary ones. um, But when it came down to the presidential debates, I was like, you know, I I already know what's going to happen there and I don't really need to see it. I'll just read about it online later. Thank you so much. (laughs) Understandable. So as he's becoming more political uh, in 1973, he decides he's going to try to get more involved in politics by running for city supervisor, which is basically a, med- a member of the city council. That's mm-hmm. what the city council is called in San Francisco. We are going to use that term a lot. Um, the board of supervisors is the city council, and a city supervisor is just a city councilor. Sure. So we're clear on the job that he's doing, or working towards doing, whatever. So his first campaign is very messy and disorganized, um, because he's never done this before. <laughs> and he's a sort of erratic person. So... It was bound to be a mess. Um, But he is very well loved in the Castro district. Um, At the time of this first campaign, the voting in the city is based on a citywide ballot, 
which basically means the candidates that win the first however many places right. get the supervisor seats. So let's say only five seats are up for re-election this year. The top right. five people in the city will get them or whatever it is. Harvey wants to change the system to one where districts would be formed in the city and those districts would vote for their supervisor to represent them for their district. That's the way it works in most places. Most places. Yes, exactly. Um, But San Francisco, I think it went through several iterations of how it voted. And I think at some point it had been in district and other times not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But they're also getting a lot more citizens at this time. Like a lot of people are moving to San Francisco. So it, that may necessitate the change. You know what I mean? Um, he earned 16,900 votes in this first election. Um, the Castro district overwhelmingly supports him. Other liberal neighborhoods do. He comes in 10th place out of 32 candidates. That's not bad for your so f- first campaign. First try, not bad. Um, if the elections had been organized by districts, he would have won. Right. Because he got so many votes in Castro. Right. Um, but during and then after this this first campaign, he becomes sort of affectionately known as the mayor of Castro Street. Mm-hmm. Because of the work he does there. So after this first election that he doesn't win, he doesn't give up. He still wants to be involved. Um And so he realizes if he's going to keep pursuing politics, he needs to get more than just the gay vote. Right. The gay vote has become massive in this city, but it's not enough alone Mm -hmm. to get him elected. So he starts to befriend other groups that he feels are seen as minorities like him. So like obviously different ethnic minority groups, but also like the elderly he sees as Mm -hmm. mistreated and a minority in the city, the disabled groups like that. Um, He decides he wants to start working with. Um, And we'll talk more about this as we go. But like his very firm belief is that like the problems of the average citizen should be the responsibility of their government. So just normal everyday things. I know. Normal everyday things that people deal with are the things that their government should be concerned with. So those are the things he participates in what the government is for exactly um as you might imagine that means that he's very pro small local business and very against these big businesses coming in he leans socialist he does lean very socialist um but yeah so he starts working with these groups and one group that he is trying to gain support with is the labor unions um the labor unions have been trying to organize a beer bork boycott of Coors beer because a Coors beer boycott, a beer boycott. <laughs> Say that twelve times fast. Whatever. Um, Coors refuses to sign the union contracts, so they've been trying to get this boycott off the ground. And one union organizer asks for Harvey's help to organize the gay bars. If the gay bars will start, because there are a lot of them on Castro Street, if they'll start participating in the boycott, that would have a huge effect, right? Um, And Harvey says he'll help if the unions hire more gay drivers. Fair enough. Agree to this, right? Wheeling and dealing. Um, Exactly. 
So he canvasses the local gay bars, and he also organizes with local Chinese grocers. Oh, smart. To help participate in the boycott, and it's all of a sudden very successful. Yeah. Because these groups start working together, and it becomes more effective. You gotta hit them where it hurts. Hit them where the money is, baby. Yep, exactly. In 1974, some gay men are having trouble. What? The, how did I do that? <laughs> I don't and how know. did the spell check not catch? I put two L's. I don't know. And the word trouble and the spell check didn't catch. I don't know. Sorry. Wild distraction. Anyway, <laughs> some gay men are having some trouble opening a business um, in the area because the business association there is giving them a hard time. Whatever. So Harvey and other gay business owners formed the Castro Village Association, which is a business association for gay owned businesses, mm-hmm. because he is a very firm believer that gay people should buy from gay people and well, should yeah. support other gay people. Like that's, you know, his whole thing. Um, and he's the president of this association, and he organizes the Castro Street Fair, which is a massive success for local businesses, not just gay-owned, but, like, all the businesses sure. on Castro Street. And I, I'm pretty sure this event, the, the Castro Street Fair, like, continues for the next mm-hmm. several years. It's very popular. So he's starting to get more involved and become more influential yeah. in his area, right? So he runs for supervisor again in 1975. Uh, He decides to cut his hair short and he like decides not to smoke weed anymore. Like Mm -hmm. he's he wants to be seen seriously so that other people will vote for him, basically. Right. And, you know, if you get the job, you have to work with other people who are unlike you. Yeah. And so he wants to look more professional and be able. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And. While it's still a mess, his campaign is more organized this time. Um, He runs it out of the back room of Castro Camera. Um, He gets a lot of support from lots of different members of the community. And his whole campaign, everything is like hand to hand. Let me hand you this paper. Shake your hand. Human billboards. People standing at the bus stops with signs and papers. It's like Just all canvassing. All canvassing. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to take money from businesses. I'm going door to door. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. The added face helped. That's how I hear the line every time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going door to door. You're openly campaigning? Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he... he he needs, you know, money to run his campaign, but he doesn't want to take that money from big businesses and yeah, yeah. All He's that Liz stuff. Warren, baby, grassroots. Yes, Bernie very much. Sanders, grassroots, mama. Yeah, that is what he is interested in, and because he's so well in his, loved in his community, he gets the volunteers. He yeah. gets the support. You yeah. Know? Um, before the election happens, um, in 1975, the former state senator. George Moscone is elected as mayor of San Francisco. Yes. And while he was in the Senate, he helped repeal California's sodomy law. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's very supportive of the gay community and of Harvey's work. And apparently on election night, he offers Harvey a position as a city commissioner if he doesn't win the seat as city supervisor. He wants to work 
with Harvey right. in city government if he doesn't win. So Harvey comes in seventh place in the election, which makes him one place away Ooh. from earning a seat. Harsh. So again, Way if harsh they had time. been organized by districts. He would have won. <laughs> he would have won. Yep. Um, but after his loss, uh, Moscone does appoint him to the Board of Permit Appeals, which makes him the first openly gay city commissioner in the United States. He works in this position for five weeks, but he decides that he wants to run for California State Assembly. And by order of the mayor, neither appointed nor election of elected officials are allowed to run a campaign while performing their duties. Sure. So he has to fire Harvey so that he can run his campaign. So this campaign is, again, very similar to his other campaigns. It's disorganized and <laughs> largely run by volunteers. Um, but the reason he decides to run for it is because the seat that's open, like the voting populace, is largely Castro. Right. So he thinks, and like his last election that he lost, he like earned more votes in that election than the current state assemblyman for that area got at all in their election. So he like thinks he could manage it, right? Sure. Um, and 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 here's here's just an interesting little bit of connected history um, that will come up a couple times in the story. He distributed his campaign literature anywhere he could, including one of the most influential political groups in the city, the People's Temple. Oh yes, we know of the People's Temple, of course. If you don't know of the People's <laughs> Temple, that would be the cult that is run by Jim Jones. And we will come back to the inevitable of that situation Ooh, in a bit. I should do an episode on that. If it's you don't, I will. so sad, though. But, yep. uh, oh, no, I call it. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, no, take it, take it. Um, it's really, really sad, but, oh, we are going, so fascinating. Anyway. We will be back to that Ooh. momentarily. Ugh. Anyway, um, so, and the People's Temple is located, it's like their central situation is in San Francisco. For a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, we'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. um, Milk accepts temple volunteers to work his phones because they're very influential in the city at this time. And on February 19th, 1979, Milk writes nope, a letter not, to... not 1979. Oh, gosh. <laughs> 1978. Yep. <laughs> um, Milk writes a letter to President Jimmy Carter Whoops. defending cult leader Jim Jones as, quote, a man of the highest character Whoops. when asked... Which is well, unfortunate. We didn't know yet. And to be fair, there are a lot of things about Jim Jones that at this point in time would lead you to believe that he was doing some good. Yeah. At this point in time. It's a very complicated situation. It, yeah. But, but ex you know, from the outside looking in, at this point, it kind of, I get it. Yeah, I understand. And also, he is being supported currently by his followers. So, sure, like, which I'm sure he allowed because of how it looked. Yes, at the at the time. Yes, quickly um, got very out of control. But you know, yeah. So in the end, Harvey only loses this vote by four thousand votes. Oof. So technically, a cult did not help him get elected, but they you tried know. to. They did try to. Um, yeah, so it's close. And he's, he's getting closer every day. You know right. what I mean? All right. 
before we keep going in Harvey's career, I need to talk about a couple of wider contextual things that were happening in the gay rights movement yeah. in the United States that have a direct effect on him and his right. work. So in 1977, um, some gay activists in Miami, Florida, are able to pass a civil rights ordinance that made discrimination based on sexual orientation illegal in Dade County, in that Mm -hmm. county in Florida. The singer Anita Bryant and some other fundamentalist Christians form a group called Save Our Children. Oh, yes, because they're in such danger. To try and repeal the law. Um, basically, their argument is that this um, is goes against biblical teaching and, and they what? should be free to be and able what? to teach that even though it would have no effect. And gosh, would you just look at that? It's happening still. Um, but here's my thing. Like, first of all, no, it's not. But secondly, and what? And what? We uh-huh. are not a Christian nation. Correct, correct, correct. correct. <laughs> and again, I say super cool that that's still anyway um so after a lot of campaigning her group inevitably helps repeal the law yeah Uh, they are successful in repealing Mm -hmm. the law and the success of that campaign spurs on lots of other ones around the county or around the country and tons of civil rights laws similar to this one start to get overturned everywhere oh yeah like it's it's bad. bad. It's, it's really so bad. bad. It's really bad. Um, oh, she's the worst. Yeah. Oh. So, back to Harvey. Um, an impromptu demonstration of over 3,000 Castro res- residents forms the night of the Dade County vote the to repeal the law. Right. Um, gay men and lesbians were simultaneously angry, chanting, quote, out of the bars and into the streets. Um, and... There's a very passionate response and people go out and march. Um, the San Francisco Examiner reports that members of the crowd pulled out of the bars along Castro and Polk Streets are met with deafening cheers. People are out there. Milk leads the marches that night. There's like a five mile march through the city. Um, and he declares, quote, this is the power of the gay community. Anita's going to create a national gay force. Uh, true. And it's true. Isn't that so funny? All those people who are like, I'm on a fat for our children. They create the very thing that they're, they want to prevent. Yep. Is that, that's how it always goes. You know, if you put, if you suppress people, they are going to rise up. It's just a fact. So the more you try to do it, the more you're creating the problem for you, for you. It's not a problem, mm-hmm. but like for yourself that mm-hmm. you're trying to prevent from happening in the first place. Like, girl, you gone got yourself. Mm-hmm. You played yourself. Um, This is an aside, but speaking of that, in the coming years, like at the start of some of his political speeches, Harvey will start with... um. I'm Harvey Milk and I'm here to recruit you. Yeah. Oh, yes. I've heard. I've <laughs> Which heard is the speeches. So famous yeah. and wonderful. And I love it. Yeah. Um, I, it's, the, are, it's the gay agenda at work. <laughs> yes, exactly. We're, I, we're very lucky that he's one of those people who we like have recordings of, yes. all of his work. Yeah. He was a really fantastic speaker. Um, 
I didn't mention this at the top, but I feel about him very similar to the way I feel about like Vincent Van Gogh, where if I think about him for too long, I cry. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a miracle if I get through this episode without crying. <laughs> anyway. All right. Um, so, yeah, it, it, her work only encourages Harvey Of course. More. Right. Uh, so in November of 1976, as a brief aside from this, some of Harvey's efforts are finally successful because San Francisco votes to organize their districts Ooh. or organize into districts for voting for the city supervisors. Yes. So Harvey starts another campaign and this time it is to re- represent district five, which is Castro's district as city supervisor. So he has a much better chance of winning now mm-hmm. because he is so well loved in Castro. Um, all right, now back to the other issues. In 1979, California nope. State nope. Senator not 79. Oh my god, what's <laughs> happening to me? Why? Let's try again. Let's take it back to one, Why everybody. Yeah. Let's take it back to one. Okay. In 1977, California State Senator John Briggs writes a bill called um, Proposition Six. That would ban gays and lesbians from being public school teachers in California. I just. That's so stupid. It is so really stupid. very stupid. Um, and his campaign becomes known as the Briggs Initiative. Um, so if I'm referring to that or Prop, Prop six, 6, that's what we're talking about. And throughout Harvey's campaign and then in the coming years, like, after, um, he takes a very firm st- stance against Prop 6. And we're well, going to yeah, talk more I mean, about for a lot of reasons, but also he was a teacher. He was so, a teacher. A lot of his constituents are teacher. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, of course. Yeah. Um, not one I'm including in here, but he has a really great speech. I posted it on my Instagram stories yesterday, which will be long gone for all of you by the time. We, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw of it. him talking about how ridiculous that is and how, you know, he oh, was yeah, raised yes. in an exclusively heterosexual environment. And, he and was, he's not he heterosexual. Gay, right. So, yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. Um, so around this time, because of um, Anita Bryant and because of John Briggs and all of this movement all around the country, violence against gay people is rising of course is rising in castro right um in june of this year briggs visits san francisco and calls quote the city a sexual garbage heap because of homosexuals and they said yes (laughs) and we are and And? um (laughs) and then yeah it's terrible and then a week later, a man named Robert Hillsborough dies from Ugh. 15 stab wounds in a hate crime. Um, you know, they were calling him slurs and whatever. Yeah. Um, Mayor Moscone and Robert's mother both blame Briggs and Anita Bryant for the death. Yeah, well, they're not wrong. Yeah. Um, but then a week later, uh, 250,000 people attend the 1977 San Francisco Gay, Gay Freedom Day Parade. And this, at this point in time, is the largest attention attendance at any gay pride event yeah. at this point in history. Um, and a lot of people think the uptick in people is largely due to the, well, the yeah, uh, yes. campaigning. Yeah. Um, so, back to Harvey's campaign. Um, his biggest opponent for city supervisor at this point was another openly gay man. I read somewhere that there were, like, 
12 candidates on the ballot and half of them were gay, which is Yeah, because they all went, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Oh, we could do that. Okay. So he's an openly gay lawyer named Rick Stokes. Um, And I just think this puts it really well, the differences between them. Yeah. Stokes was quoted saying, I'm just a businessman who happens to be gay. And expressed the view that any normal person could be a, could also be a homosexual. Absolutely correct. Um, Milk's contrasting philosophy, or populist philosophy, was relayed to the New York Times. We don't want sympathetic liberals. We want gays to represent gays. I represent the gay street people. The 14-year-old runaway from San Antonio. We have to make up for hundreds of years of persecution. We have to give hope to that poor runaway kid from San Antonio. They go to the bars because churches are hostile. They need hope. They need a piece of the pie. The, this is a very interesting thing to talk about because, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the one hand, you're, you're right when you say like, yeah, it, he's absolutely right. Like, I just anybody am a businessman. Anybody can be gay. And that is totally true. But also at this point in history, we're not super there yet. And what I... What Harvey Milk really opposes is this is the idea of assimilation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're not just gonna act like you and be your you know obedient gaze because you want us to assimilate into your culture and not to make look, a big quote, not unquote, make a big normal deal. or whatever, right? Yeah. Not make a big deal about it or not be quote unquote flamboyant about it. And he is right. Like mm-hmm. that is not what the community or the country needed at that point in time. Like now we can go, well, yeah, I mean, it's just true. Like this, this is obviously there's still a lot of work to do, but we're less at a point in time where it's like, and where we need that contrasting, you know, it can be either one. Mm -hmm. Do you want to represent as someone who's like, I will not assimilate. Great. Do you want to represent as someone who is like, Listen, it's I already made small... my way in the world. That's yeah. just part of me. Like, that's yeah. also fine. But at this point, I think that he's right. It's the not about The loud voices that. were necessary yeah, to help and, and he, make it normal. Yeah. And it's true that it's like, you know, it's the same as Dr. King basically saying, I'm not going to act like a white person because mm-hmm. it makes you more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's it's a similar attitude. Yes. Um and, so. and, and those contrasting views naturally come up in any any kind of movement yeah, like this. Totally. Just, that's just totally. what happens. Um and I'll also say one of Harvey's like big philosophies was that he believed that every person should come out of the closet. That like every yes, person who true. was okay. gay yeah. should come out. That is and true of him. Yeah. I I understand that philosophy and I also completely understand for people where that is not and cannot be the case, absolutely. It was just a thing right. he believed. He believed, you know. But again, you have to think about the historical context mm-hmm. of, like, what he is saying, I think, is that, like, we should not be living in fear more than, like, if you're in the closet, you don't count as a right. I, right. So, you know, there is a little bit of a difference in the attitude. Yes. Um, but that was just, that was one of his things. He He, he wanted... Yes. Every person should come out. Like that was his every every gay person should come out of the closet. That's what he believed. Right. Yeah, he did. Which um, like, all right. I mean, obviously that's just not realistic. Yeah. It's yeah. not realistic. Yeah. And I think now we're more in a place where it's like, if you don't want to come out to anybody, you who cares? Yeah. It's not about that. <laughs> but yeah. you know, 
then it kind of was. Mm-hmm. And I also, he was think- also he was also trying to prove that point of look. We're here. It could be anyone. He, in an interview I was watching of him, he said something like, you know, we have, I can't remember the numbers, but let's just say like a hundred gay doctors. Right. And Mm -hmm. he was saying, in reality, we have 900. Right. But those people don't feel comfortable enough to come out. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, and I also think just, um, sorry, we're on a little bit of a tangent now, but in this, uh, while we're talking about this, I think that his gay opponents were more likely to lean toward that, well, it could just be anybody, because it made them more electable. Yes. It made them more, like, less intimidating mm-hmm. to people who didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so even people who were like, yes, I absolutely support gay rights, but they were they were intimidated by the intensity. Yeah. These people saw themselves as more approachable Mm -hmm. um now do i agree with that uh attitude no of course i don't but (laughs) i think that that's a part of why this person made this statement and why his opponents you know made were very clear about i'm not like my opponent yeah well because he was wild and yeah loud and ridiculous right you know that that's but that was just his personality that was just the type of person that he was right but but politically that's seen as like whoa loose cannon he's going he's too far you know yeah um anyway all of that's to say that on november 8th night november 8th 1977 harvey milk finally wins a seat as a city supervisor representing district five Making him the first openly gay elected official in California and one of the first in the United States. Making history. Mm-hmm. Um, after his victory, he starts getting a lot of hate mail and death threats. Mm, who's surprised? And he thought that it was very likely that he might be assassinated. I mean, he had a huge target on his back, right? So he records tapes of his will and, like, his thoughts around this and whatever. And who he would, like, a list of folks he would like to replace him if he Mm -hmm. died. Um, Which was, like, a thing if a supervisor resigned or whatever, they could say to the mayor, because the mayor picks the next person, here are some folks who I think would represent my district well. Right. Right. Um, In one of those tapes, he very famously says... If a bullet should enter my brain, let that bullet destroy every closet door. That made me want to cry. Okay. That is poetic. (laughs) That is poetic and harsh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Harvey is actually not the only one to make history in this election. Um, Also sworn in with him in this council are, um, (laughs) this is a quote uh, that I got from the documentary, the city's first, quote, devout women's rights activist, um, who was also like a a single mother, which was different then, you know what I mean? Um, A Chinese American and a black woman. Nice. So it was big, big, big deal for San Francisco. And like we were saying, it's a very ethnically diverse city. Mm -hmm. Um, So naturally, that is what the city council should look like, you know? Um, Daniel White is also sworn in as a first-time supervisor, and he is about to become a very important character in this story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, early in their time as supervisors, uh, they have a little bit of a, a, a problem, Harvey and Dan. Um, and this is a quote I just 
pulled for Wikipedia again because it was well said. Um, So Harvey agreed with Dan that a mental health facility for troubled adolescents should not be placed in Dan's district. Um, But then Harvey learns more about the facility and he decides to switch his vote, saying, actually, I do think it would be a good idea, right? Um, And he was the vote that Dan needed to win. Yeah. Yeah, so he... White loses on the issue, which was very important because it was like one of the things he campaigned on was making sure that that facility wasn't in his district. Uh, White did not forget it. He Mm. opposed every initiative and issue that Milk supported from then on out. Ugh, man. So this man carries a grudge. And let's talk for a minute about Dan White. Okay. Do we have to? Just a little (laughs) bit. Um, He was a firefighter. Um, and so a lot of the dis- support in his district came from police and fire. Yep. Um, and he was a more conservative person, right? Um, he was a white man. He was a white not man. Not just, he, not just in name. No, he was a white man. <laughs> yeah. Um, he. Straight white <laughs> man. Um, he, uh, publicly said that he had no problem with gay people Mm -hmm. but that did not seem to be the case Mm -hmm. um and like after a pride parade he says that he thinks that the nudity is too much and they shouldn't be allowed or whatever he's one of those so (laughs) he's one of those didn't like openly aggressively Go against whatever. Um, but he's I mean, a person besides- who feels that he is entitled to everything. And when he doesn't yeah, get yeah, it, yeah. it, it's about... It's going to cause some problems. How do I avenge the loss of the thing that I wanted? Yeah. Which um, is like, get over yourself. Seriously. Yeah. Um, Breaking news. You're not the only person on Earth. Yeah. Relax. So, so White's going to continue to come up here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he sure is. He sure is. Uh... So the first major bill that Harvey sponsors is a civil rights bill that would make discrimination based upon sexual orientation illegal. Of course. Um, These are a couple of, this was like a quote from the New York Times. The ordinance was called the most stringent and encompassing, wow, in the nation. (laughs) And its passing demonstrated the growing political power of homosexuals. The bill passes. We love to hear it. We love to see it. We do. The bill passes with a vote of 11 to 1. Hmm, who's the one? Oh. Dan who, White who is the only one to vote against it. Oh, I'm so surprised and shocked by this news. So how rare to have a, an entire city council and you're agree the one that holdout. this is good for your city. And you're the one, I wish we cursed on this podcast, to yeah. not do it. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Um, and obviously Mayor Moscone very enthusiastically signs it into law. Yeah, well, of course. He, he was a, he was an ally, you know. Yeah. Um, He's an ally, so. He's, he's an ally. I'm an ally, so. (laughs) Um, another bill that Harvey sponsors, uh, becomes known as the Pooper Scooper Law. Oh, Um, yeah. And this is, again, an example of. Lots of people use this as an example of how um, Harvey was really good at, like, getting media attention, but also of his belief that, like, simple problems should be our problem. Because yeah, the city, he's Leslie Nope. He's so, so he's Leslie so Nope. Leslie nope. Um, he, the city had a major 
problem of people leaving dog poops in public parks, right? And he says, well, let's just find dog owners who don't clean up after their dogs. Um, and very famously in the media coverage for this, he is like talk. He takes the media to a park and he's talking about I've it. Seen he this. steps yes. into dog poop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and some people say that like he went to the park beforehand and like planted it there. Other people say that he like walked around the park for like an hour beforehand, like finding. The I mean, spot. it is very like. Oh gosh, would you look would at you that? Would you look at that? I mean, I, and, and it case really, in point, just case what in we point. were talking about. Wow, yes. I, it really is that much of a problem. Gosh, oh wow. Um, I just find it. Yeah, it's funny. Funny and very, very him. But that's what that's what politicians do. They're, yeah, you know, if you're an effective one, this is the kind yeah. of stuff you do. Exactly. And he had a fantastic public image, and so like mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, on a on a sadder note. Um, during this oh, time, yes. oh, Harvey's then boyfriend, who he was with for like the year preceding this time, um, Jack Lyra commits suicide. Harvey oh. finds him having hanged himself. Oh, it's terrible. Um, he was apparently prone to depression, obviously. And in one of the notes that he left for Harvey, he mentions that he was distraught by Anita Bryant and John Briggs's campaigns. So just as if as if Harvey needed more reason to be angry at yeah. these people. Well, and just another piece of proof that like those people can say all they want. It's not personal. It's political. You but are it costing people's people, lives. Yeah, it affects people personally. You, exactly. Yeah, but they don't care because that's not what they're concerned about. Right. I, I nope. I'm not going to yeah. rant about that right now. Yeah. Um, so during these first few months as supervisor, he spends a lot of time fighting against Prop 6. Mm-hmm. And like, this is not a city issue. This is a statewide issue. Well, but yeah. he he makes it his issue. But he is a constituent. Yeah. So he has yeah. every right. He attends every event that Briggs hosts. And he often debates him in public. Uh, for public events or like for TV yeah. interviews, him and um, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember her name, but she's a lesbian and she was a professor at a university, and they were like a tag team. Um, and they would go on the. She was in the in the documentary. She's fantastic. Oh, I just can't yeah. think of her name. Um, but they um, would go on um TV or these things and debate Briggs about this about Prop Six. So that quote about how he had entirely heterosexual teachers that's from one of those um they spent a lot of time saying like the big thing for prop six is that there's people are saying well we don't want our children to get molested which is insanity because yeah um but then harvey comes in with the statistics and says well 95 percent of um sexual predators are heterosexual yeah um, so what's that even supposed to mean? And then Briggs comes back with a, um, well, uh, you know, you know, uh, if, if 95% of the population is straight and 5% is gay or whatever, we just think that there will be less, it will be less likely that our children will get molested if there aren't gay teachers. And then Harvey goes, but you just said you just that said. the population of straight people is the, according to the statistics, is the problem. Anyway, um... Sally Gerhardt. Yes, yes. Like, I couldn't. I had. I couldn't get it out of my brain because I was like, I know who you're talking about. I couldn't think of her name. Yeah, she's incredible. Um. Anyway, so that's he spends a lot of time doing that work. Yeah. Um, San Francisco's Gay Freedom Day Parade of 1978 
has between 250 to 375,000 attendees. Uh-huh. Again, huge event. Uh, organizers ask people to carry signs showing their hometowns to show how people from all over the country have come to San Francisco to join the community there. Mm-hmm. Um, Harvey is the parade's grand marshal, and he carries a sign that says, I'm from Woodmere, New York. And this is a quote from his speech at that pride. On this anniversary of Stonewall, I ask my gay sisters and brothers to make the commitment to fight for themselves, for their freedom, for their country. We will not win our rights by saying quietly in our closets. We are coming out to fight the lies, the myths, the disorientations. That's not what that says. (laughs) Distortions. Distortions. Wow. (laughs) Um, We are coming out to tell the truths about gays, for I am tired of the conspiracy of silence. So I'm going to talk about it, and I want you to talk about it. You must come out. Come out to your parents, your relatives, and that goes on. He he has a very famous speech about that. Um, Eventually, Ronald Reagan, barf, um, (laughs) California (laughs) Governor Jerry Brown and President Jimmy Carter all eventually speak out against Prop 6. So he did one good thing in his life. Frankly shocked about Reagan. Yeah. Frankly Um, still shocked all these years later. Yeah. And then a lot of stuff happens in November of 1978. So on November 7th, the proposition loses by more than a million votes. hey They suck it. Really didn't think it was going to, like, up to the oh, day yeah, of the I election, know. it was tight. Numbers were, like, 50-50 tight. So that turnout is huge. Yeah. Then, on November 10th, Dan White very suddenly resigns his position after only 10 months. Um, basically saying that the salary is not enough to support his wife and new child. Um, he's just not making enough money. And none of the other supervisors knew about it. The mayor didn't know about it. Um, and because he doesn't tell the mayor, here are some people who I think would be good to come after me. Mm -hmm. The mayor has to find a replacement, you know? Then a couple days later... White requests that his resignation be withdrawn and asks to be reinstated. So basically, after the fact, he hears from a lot of people from his community that they're like, hey, wh- what the heck? We voted for you. Why are you giving up after 10 months? You need to keep doing this work. And he goes, well, I guess okay then. And he goes back and he tries to withdraw his his resignation. He can't withdraw his reg- resignation but the mayor can appoint him sure. as the as the replacement essentially if he would like to um so he has to decide if he wants to reappoint white or if he wants someone new to fill the position and harvey is one of the only people to come to the mayor and say you can't reinstate him well yes yeah. Because the mayor is very liberal and the, um, and Harvey knows this and is the only smart one, apparently. Well, and the board is leaning more liberal. And so he's telling the mayor he's the vote that his position is the vote we need. So if you put a more liberal person in there, we will get more stuff done, basically. And there were other people who believed that, but who weren't going to go say it because what if White does get reinstated and then it's very awkward, but you know. He's already, uh, you know. Harvey Milk's number one enemy. Exactly. So. Yeah. Um, uh, Moscone or Harvey hears, Milk is his, let's be right, honest. Right, right. Um, Moscone hears 
also like does public town hall whatever Mm -hmm. and hears from people living in white's district that they would have liked to have been consulted on the resignation and who would be replaced um their community is becoming more ethnically diverse maybe someone more ethnically diverse or more open to that should represent their area whatever Mm -hmm. and then on november 18th and 19th oh boy the news breaks of the jonestown massacre oh 900 members of the People's Temple, many of whom were San Francisco citizens, commit mass suicide. It's so sad. It's It's really tragic. Um, Oh, I have so many thoughts about it. We'll we'll do its own episode, but oh my God, it's so sad. Because it originated in the city and so many of those people were citizens of San Francisco, this is like hugely oh, devastating to no one's town. thinking about anything else at dan point. he gets dan white gets pushed out of the news real fast yeah. you know he was front page headline every day for a week and Who then he's just pushed now? right out exactly yeah. yeah um and so this it, it's important to understand for the coming things that the city is in mourning active oh, mourning yeah and will be for some time the whole country this. is frankly absolutely but it, but I, it's if very you haven't heightened I'm, in san francisco if you haven't like read anything or seen anything about the jonestown massacre like honestly you should because you'll understand like just how wild it all was it came out of nowhere and, it was really brutal but even just like the events it's the whole country was just in complete shock. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. So active mourning, right? It, it, and it will go on for some time. This mm-hmm. was very devastating for this city. Then on November 27th, 1978, Moscone is planning on announcing the new supervisor for District 8, which was the dance district. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be Dan White. Mm-hmm. He's not going to put him back in. A half an hour before the scheduled press conference, White sneaks into City Hall through a basement window to avoid the metal detectors because he is carrying a gun. He goes to Moscone's office, apparently, to talk to him. Um, and then he shoots him in the shoulder, in the chest, and twice in the head. Uh, he dies of his wounds, and he's 49, 49 years old when he dies. Oh, it's awful. He then goes to his... Dan White goes to his former office, and on the way there, he runs into Harvey. And he pulls Harvey into the office, and he shoots Harvey five times, two of those times being in the head. He also dies of his wounds at 48 years old. Um, The president of the Board of Supervisors, Diane uh, Feinstein, hears the gunshots and calls police. Yeah. Um, White flees the building, but he turns himself in within the hour. Just another example of a white man who felt felt like he was entitled to something and then he didn't get it and took mm-hmm. it out on other people. Um, the documentary, The Times of Harvey Milk, starts with Diane announcing their deaths. Uh, yes, I've seen. Yes. And it is it's, devastating. Oh, it's so rough. Pe- the people's reaction is like they are shocked. And she's having a hard time. She, yeah. Like it's. Oh, it's It's terrible. devastating. Um, this is going to be the part that's going to make me cry. Okay. Well, you have to get through it because I'm already starting to get teary. Yeah. Also, um, I'm looking at the time of our recording now. This is going to be a long one. Apologies. Yep. 
Um, okay. That night, between 25,000 and 40,000 people form a candlelight march from Castro Street to City Hall. Um, that part of the documentary made me weep. Yeah. Because one of, okay, I'm going to cry. I'm just resigning myself to it. One of the women who worked with Harvey talked about how in the weeks that came, so many people came out of the closet mm-hmm. because that's what Harvey would have wanted. Yes. Yes. That's right. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> the next day, their bodies are brought to City Hall for people to pay their respects. Um, Moscone is buried and Harvey is cremated. His ashes are partially spread over the San Francisco Bay by his friends. And some are buried in front of Castro's cameras. So there's like a, you know, monument for him there. Um, Diane takes over as mayor, um, you know, as acting mayor. And she appoints one of the people that Harvey had laid out in his tapes to replace him, um, a man named Harry Britt, as the new supervisor for his district. And, you know, this city has experienced two major tragedies less than 10 days apart. You know, mm-hmm. this the mayor and, and Harvey were both very well-loved, so it was devastating. Um... I'm about to get very angry. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just get through it. Yeah. Because um, I'm going to get really mad. Dan White's trial starts a few months later. You know, it takes some time for that process to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jury is entirely white and middle class because gays and ethnic minorities were excused from the jury pool because they thought they were too close to the situation. If that happened now, this would be thrown out. Yeah. Because of poor jury selection. Just yep. FYI. Okay. Um, White's defense is that it was not premeditated, even though he sneaks he into the building. He brought a weapon. Not only with in, a gun. He snuck in no, because he had a weapon. Yeah. He sneaks in with a gun. And then some people are like, well, other city supervisors carried around weapons, which is true. But they go he through a metal had, detector. Yeah. They go through a metal detector. He had extra bullets in his pocket. Why would he have carried those if he was not planning if on shooting? If he wasn't going to shoot anybody. Yeah. Um, and that he was of, quote, diminished capacity, which is the, the diminished mental capacity right. excuse, whatever. The argument is that he was stressed and depressed because of financial issues with his family. I'm sorry, sure, that sounds but to people, me like motive. Well, and also people do that all the time and don't kill people. So. Right. Um, and here's here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. I know. I'm so, okay. That he ate too much junk food the night oh before, God. which affected his mental capacities. Oh my God. And this becomes famously known as the Twinkie defense. Oh. That if you eat too much junk food, it'll mess with the chemicals in your brain and you'll kill people. Um, I am almost 30 years old and have been eating too much junk food for my entire life. I've never shot a person. Never shot a person. Um, They really play it up because they play his um, confession call, which was made to a bunch of police officers that he was friends with. Of course. Yeah. And he's very emotional through it. And some of the jurors cry listening to him confess because they're murder. all white and straight. All white. Um, on May twenty first, nineteen seventy nine, he is 
acquitted of first degree murder is found guilty of two counts of voluntary manslaughter. They could they they couldn't not find him guilty of that. I just he killed two people. Okay, listen, if you're not in America, this might sound confusing to you if you've never heard, like heard about our charges and stuff like uh-huh. that. So in order to prove first degree murder, you basically have to prove that it was premeditated, meaning planned, uh-huh. meaning he went there with the plan to kill someone. Now, in my opinion, as someone who has watched a crap ton of true crime and has listened to a lot of, you know, podcasts about this, doesn't make me an expert, but let's be honest, I have a lot of experience hearing about this. The motive is so blatantly obvious. He had a known grudge against Harvey. That My thought is that the prosecution must have somehow not pushed the motive hard enough. Yeah. Because even with this jury, the motive is so blatant. And the extra bullets are a literal smoking gun. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you don't convict of of first-degree murder. Yeah. Now, he gets convicted of manslaughter because he did kill these people and he did confess to it. But it's a So they have to find him guilty. Crime. Very different charge. Mm-hmm. You, can get, you can get found guilty of manslaughter for accidentally hitting someone with your car. Right. Th- that's it's what voluntary we're or involuntary. Yeah. They call this voluntary because he, shot, he them. shot them. He points a gun at them and he shoots knowing he's going to kill them. But they can't get him on the premeditation mm-hmm. because the jury is biased, basically. So, so I'm just... He's, <gasps> he's only sentenced to seven years of prison. Right. With the possibility of a reduced sentence of five years if he has good behavior, which he will because he's... Because he's friends with all the people yeah, who make exactly. the decisions. Um, obviously many public figures disagree with this, you know, Diane and- the, As do yeah, I. Yeah. Um, but the public is furious. So they've been mourning this for months and then to have this be the charge. Right. Um, about 1,500 people begin marching from Castro Street to City Hall. By the time they reach City Hall, the crowd has grown between 300 to 500,000 people. And apparently as they're marching mm, that's down. That's not what you've written here. 3,000 written- to 5,000 people. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's very different. Yes, it is. 3,000 to 5,000 people. And apparently as they're marching down, they're chanting that out of the bars and into the streets from mm-hmm. the protest from the night yeah. of the Nita Bryant, you know. Yeah. Um, they're chanting avenge Harvey Milk. He got away with murder, you know, stuff like that. And they begin vandalizing City Hall and throwing things through the window. Parts of City Hall are set on fire. Police cars are set on fire. Um, This quote is everything. Um, Uh One of the rioters responded to a reporter's question about why they were destroying parts of the city. Just tell the people that we ate too many Twinkies. That's why this is happening. Dang, tell them. I mean, hey. Um, and this very famously becomes known as the White Knight Riots. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, if you know your queer history, the White Knight Riots. I'm just, oh, I'm seething. Oh, okay. we're not done yet. Because, I know, uh, that's what I'm, um, initially, I just got, like, I'm not kidding. I just got goosebumps at how much I'm seething right yeah. now. Okay. Initially, the police are not sure how to respond when the people show up at City Hall, right? But after a few hours, officers come in to try and stop the riots. Um, They're in riot gear. They have tape covering their identification. Oh, where have we heard that before? Yeah, and they begin Mm. attacking rioters. 
It's almost like it's always been this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they clear out City Hall. Um, and then they're sent to Castro because there are riots happening in Castro as well. Um, officers enter the Elephant Walk bar, unauthorized. They were not ordered to go into that bar. And begin just attacking patrons, calling them slurs that I can't, cannot repeat no, on this podcast. Don't. Um, physically attacking people. Uh, they leave the bar after about 15 minutes, and then they just begin attacking people on the streets. So they're just leading their own riot against them. I mean, that's yep. what's happening here. They're it's saying, oh, no, we're riot. on his side. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, this is another quote I found. Later that night, freelance ri- reporter Michael Weiss saw a group of police officers celebrating at a downtown bar. And it says, we were at, this is a quote from them. We were at City Hall the day the killings happened, and we were smiling then. One oh. officer explained, we were oh. there tonight and still smiling. Terrible! I I want to murder that person. Yeah. It's bad. Um, <laughs> oh, who? <sighs> yeah. Okay. Um, around 61 officers and 100 civilians are hospitalized, and there are about two dozen r- arrests. God. Um, the next day, May 22nd, would have been Harvey's 49th birthday. So the day before the celebration of him, right. they announced this. Um, his successor, Harry Britt, uh, states, quote, Harvey Milk's people do not have anything to apologize for. Now the society is going to have to deal with us not as nice little fairies who have hairdressing salons, but as people mm-hmm. capable of violence. We are not going to put up with Dan White's anymore. Yes. And he clearly chose the right person to secede him. Um, yeah. That night, there is a peaceful public gathering of about 20,000 people to celebrate Harvey's life. Uh, Dan White serves five years of prison, like we said he probably would, um, and is released on January 7th, 1984. On October 21st, 1985, he is found dead in his ex-wife's running car, having committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, so his... I won't comment on that. Yeah. I have feelings, he, but I won't. He was originally up for the death penalty for the murders. Yeah, because he was charged with first degree, uh-huh. but he did not get... He wasn't found guilty of first degree. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where I wanted to Which, by of, the way, just as a point of fact, I do not agree with the death penalty, but. Right. It is true that had he been convicted of first degree They murder, could he have. probably would have. He probably would have received yeah. it. Um, so that's, that's where I want to sort of wrap up Harvey's actual story, story right? Um, but just to tack on the end, there are, I, I couldn't even list them all. Tons of buildings, schools, streets. Um, there's an airport terminal, uh, there's a Navy ship, all named after Harvey Milk. Um, in 1982, Randy Schiltz, I think, releases his biography of Harvey called The Mayor of Castro Street. In 1984, the documentary The Times of Harvey Milk, which I've talked about a lot uh, in this episode, which is loosely based on that biography, is made. Um, and it wins an Oscar for Best Documentary. In 2008, a biopic called Milk is released starring Sean Penn as Harvey Milk. Yeah. I mean, I have opinions about Sean Penn, yeah. too, but, but um, that alone. it wins two Oscars 
won for best original screenplay and then Sean Penn wins for best actor as Harvey mm-hmm. And in 2009, Obama uh, posthumously, uh, that word, uh, awards Harvey the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, for his work in the gay rights movement, which is presented to his nephew, Stuart. Um, yeah. And I had, I had one more little thing. I know this is a long episode, but I wanted to leave us with a clip uh, that was recorded not long before Harvey died of a version of his very popularly known hope speech. Um, this was a speech he gave a lot and changed a lot over the years. And this is just like a short little clip of that speech. So um, Anna and I are going to listen to it. I will include the speech here in the podcast, but let's just take a second to listen to that. Somewhere in Des Moines or San Antonio, there's a young gay person who all of a sudden realizes that she or he is gay, knows that if the parents find out, they'll be tossed out of the house, the classmates would taunt the child, and the Anita Bryans and John Briggs are doing their bit on TV, and that child had several options, staying in a closet, suicide, and then one day that child might open a paper and it says homosexual elected in San Francisco and there are two new options. The option is to go to California. <laughs> stay in San Antonio and fight. Two days after I was elected, I got a phone call and the voice was quite young. It was from Altoona, Pennsylvania. And the person said, thanks. And you've got to elect gay people so that that young child and the thousands upon thousands like that child know that there's hope for a better world. There's hope for a better tomorrow. Without hope, not only gays, but those blacks and the Asians and the disabled the seniors, the us's, the us's without hope yeses give up. I know that you cannot live on hope alone, but without it, life is not worth living. And you, and you, and you, you've got to give them hope. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that that really perfectly boils down, sums up his life and his work and all of the things that he believed you know yeah i agree and also i've i've it felt um wrong to not put some of him actually speaking in here because sure we have it available and he was such a, a wonderful speaker um but yeah that's harvey milk every new fact i learned about him made me more emotional <laughs> yeah i get it i get it <laughs> I feel like we need a little bit of an upper here, so history's great, but today is good too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about the things that we like about the here and now. And I know this is a long episode, but I really do feel like we need a little bit more of an upper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a kind of a bummer <laughs> ending, um, even yeah. with that nice speech. So yes, let's do something a little more fun. Why don't you go first, sis? Well, okay. Um, so my 
thing about modern times is one of my favorite uh, places, Trader Joe's. Oh, such a good one. <laughs> Let's talk about Trader Joe's. Because, yeah, it's a little bit bougie and like, you know... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it's so good and actually not that expensive. Like Whole Foods is expensive. I was about to say Trader Joe's is the poor man's Whole Foods. 100%. 100% it is. And, you know, in mine, it's like there's less of a selection, but I'm also going to be getting less processed foods, mm-hmm. which is a big plus for me. Um, And I can get so many dairy-free treats there. Because they make so many more dairy-free things. Mm-hmm. And everybody that works there that I've encountered is so nice. Even though, you know, they weigh down your bags a little too much when they fill them up. <laughs> <laughs> they always overstuff them and then I can't get them up the stairs to my apartment because they're too heavy. But they're so nice. I love a Trader Joe's. I just made a trip. I got so many delicious treats for summer. I love a Trader I Joe's. I also love a Trader Joe's. I agree. That's a great one. Thank you. What's yours? Um, it, relevant to the topic, maybe not entirely modern, but pride flags. Oh, yeah. I love pride flags. Did you do this one before? I think you might have done I? this one before. We need to start, we need to start writing them, them down. I think you might have done this before, but let's talk about it anyway. Did I? I can't remember. I think you might have. But that's I might have done it for No Homo Sapiens last year. Yeah, I think you might have done it at one point. Anyway, time, well, okay. you know, um, I think they're wonderful. I love that there is one for everyone um, and yeah. that you can find the thing that best describes you and that um, there is, I love I love imagery and symbolism yes. and especially in color. I love that. Um, I think it's why um, like people in sororities and fraternities love their like jersey so much. <laughs> it's the same sort of feeling of like, look at this symbol. For me. That I rep- That represents me and I get to wear. Yeah. Like I-, I think there's something very visceral about that. Yes. Great. I um, I have a lot of, um, like, gay pride flag sh- things, things that have the rainbow on it, but I'm bisexual, and I realized I didn't have any bisexual things, and I was like, I'm gonna buy a shirt with the bi flag on it, because I need something. I, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, I, like, sports jerseys, yeah, same thing. Yeah. It's like, look, this is the thing I get to wear that, like, represents well, and then you also think about, me like, and this group that I'm a part well, of. Well, you think about the and, flags and it's, of countries. It's also, but it's also, know. I don't know, the difference with flags of countries, I think, is that they can, in a per- in certain contexts, like, you know, the American flag, become exclusionary. Yes, yes. Whereas the pride flag is very welcoming, similar to a sports jersey. Sure, like, yes. now you're wearing this, now you're part of it, you're here with us, mm-hmm. and we're here together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love them. I love, I, I'm with you. Nice one. Thanks. So sorry this episode is so long. I literally had no <laughs> idea. Okay. My notes aren't any longer than anything. And we didn't even rant that much. I just care a lot about Harvey Milk. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of detail yeah. that you don't want to pass up yeah. for this particular story. Um, all right. Well, I don't know what the next topic is going to be because I have been wildly overwhelmed the past couple weeks and haven't really thought about it yet. But it will be another um, pride related topic in, in some way. Yeah. 
Um, because it'll still be Pride. And if you want more Pride stuff, last year I did an episode on Stonewall. Um, and then we also did an episode with uh. Uh, my friend AJ is our wonderful guest called No Homo Sapiens, where we talked yeah. about um, people from history who may have been queer. Um, so, you know, if you're in for more listening, uh, you can go back and find those ones as well. Yes. Um, if you have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover, or if you have questions, comments, feelings, um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. Um, you can also tweet at us at RTTPod. We're also on Facebook. If you search the name of the podcast, we'll pop up. Um, if you want to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast, that would be amazing. Also, I think I'm going to work on getting us on Spotify. I haven't really uh, gone too much into that yet, but maybe we'll be there soon. Maybe one day. Um, and if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. And I, um, I've decided this month that I'm going to read a bunch of, uh, queer young adult and new adult novels. Um, and I've been, I'm going to do little, like, short little review blurbs on my Instagram stories. So if that's something you're at all interested in. I'm going to, I'm planning on doing some queer reading this month. So to continue your enjoyment of pride. Love it. Well. Well. I guess. We did it. Until next time. Remember that time.